Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't. Today is April 29, 2020. This is episode 2649 of the Survival Podcast, and it's Wednesday. It is a traditional interview day, and we do have an interview today for you. This is a longtime listener. Uh, this guy's been part of the TSP community since way back in the day when I used to do this podcast for my car. Uh, he's still around, and uh, for the first time you've ever probably heard from him, other than maybe a comment or two online, his name is Tim Cook, and uh, during all of this journey, he eventually started a handyman business. And this is one of the great businesses that I think uh, just about anybody can start. I'm not saying anybody can be really successful with, but anybody can start to at least give it a shot. You can start it out as a side hustle, and you can grow it to as big as you want it to be. It's exactly what Tim did. It started out completely as a side hustle to make up for some lost you know, money on the other end of things with uh, job shrinking and going away, and turned into his full-time gig. And he's here to talk about how you can do that as well. And let me tell you something. People that think, well, I, you know, I got to wait till COVID's over to start my side hustle. His business is better right now than it's ever been before. There, there is, there is always a good time to start a side hustle or a business, and this is a great one. So uh, we'll have Tim on in just a minute. Before we do, let's go ahead and hear from our two sponsors of the day. Sponsor day number one today is Ready Made Resources. I mean, you want to talk about something that's been around since the beginning. I think ReadyMade was the third sponsor that I signed up in early 2009. It was uh, SafeCastle and one sponsor that's no longer with us and then ReadyMade. And, uh, man, I mean, that's a long time to be with a small podcast as a sponsor, isn't it? I mean, 2009, it's 11 years. And ReadyMade Resources has everything you need for your prepping on their website. They're kind of like a... Uh, like the Walmart of prepping, man. You just find anything from the practical to the tactical, guns to gardens, and everything in between. You find it all, readymaderesources.com. Next up, and I just we don't have a lot of sponsors that you wouldn't call long-term. I think our newest sponsors are like three years old now, but this is another one from the very first year that we started taking sponsors in 2009, knifekits.com. Uh, they have just been always a great show supporter, great sponsor of the show, and you guys have done a ton of business with them, which is why they stick around, and it's a good reason, too. Like, you don't buy side hustles. How about knife making? How about a hobby? How about knife making? How about skill development? Knife making. How about family heirlooms and projects to work with your kids on? How about knife making? You can do it all at knifekits.com, and they make it easy because they give you knife kits. Seems how my sponsors often say what they do and do what they say. Knife Kits is one of them. Check them out today at KnifeKits.com. With that, before I bring Tim on, let's talk about our quote of the day today. This is from Zig Ziglar. He said one time, and it really fits today's show, and it's why I picked it. If people like you, they'll listen to you. But if they trust you, they'll do business with you. And you're going to hear a lot of that in my conversation with Tim today. Building trust in the customer. You're going to hear his number one rule right off the bat. I'm not going to tell you what it is and steal his son or anything, but it's all really rooted in trust. When it comes to like a person-to-person business, like a handyman business, and like many side hustles, what really builds that business on a brand that is you is personal trust. I know that if this person says they're going to do something, it's going to get done. I know that if this person quotes me a price, they're going to they're gonna deliver at that price. I know that if this person can't do something I ask, they're going to be honest with me and tell me that. 
I know if this person says this is what it's going to take for this to happen and this is why it's expensive, that that's as far as, you know, maybe they're wrong, but they're not lying. A person like that I'll always do business with. Honesty is something that's intrinsic to the individual. They either have it or they don't. And I find that if the person is honest that you're doing business with, everything else just takes care of itself. Punctuality takes care of itself. Uh, meeting commitments takes care of itself. Being clear in communications takes care of itself. So trust is everything in the world of business, in the words of Zig Ziglar. And that's a good intro ramp for our discussion day with Tim Cook. And with that, hey, Tim, man, welcome to the Survival Podcast. Thanks, Jack, for having me. I've been a long-time listener and uh, really just wanted to get on, and it's a pleasure. Thank you very much. Hey, we've got you on today to talk about some entrepreneurship from the standpoint of starting a handyman business, which I think is just one of the great opportunities that are out there for just about anybody that wants to make something out of it. Um, before we get into that, though, can you just kind of tell us a little bit about your background? I know you listen to the show a long time, but you know, just kind of what have you done in, in the world professionally or what have you up until you started doing this? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I grew up on the east coast of Canada, uh, Nova Scotia, a uh, small fishing town out there. Uh, went to school there. Um, you know, I was always sort of into the whole entrepreneurship idea. Um, even looked at taking entrepreneurship in community college. Um, and then I decided to take something much more practical and took a four-year bachelor's degree in religious studies. So uh, you can imagine how that turned out. <laughs> and <laughs> so, uh, yeah, went, went, went away to college. Uh, you know, at least I learned how to learn. Um, moved back to my hometown when I graduated and become a night manager at a Dairy Queen from there. Uh, met the love of my life, uh, my wife Becky. Uh, we've gone on to have uh, five wonderful kids. Um, and then I got into doing sales. Um, worked at a hardware store for about 10 years. I uh, was always one of the top salespeople there. Um, learned, you know, when I, when I took that job, I was not handy at all. And I remember being offered the job. I was actually headhunted for what it's worth. And uh, I thought the main reason I wanted to do it was because I was going to learn you know, so much, there were so many skills I could learn there that I, I wouldn't learn anywhere else. And, you know, I had access to every tradesperson under the sun and uh, we bought a house in that time. And, you know, it, it basically helped me learn what I needed to do to fix and be handy on everything. Uh, you know, from there, we, um, you know, the East Coast wasn't the most um, financially viable place for us. It wasn't bad, but we were always just, you know, a large family and we were always looking for a better opportunity. Uh, relatives messaged me who lived in Alberta, uh, which uh, some of my friends on Zello call uh, northern North Dakota, and uh, wanted me to come out and work in the oil patch. So we took a huge chance. I came out, stayed on a fold-up single mattress for two months, got a job in the oil patch when everything was you know, hot and heavy going crazy, uh, worked there, brought my family out five months later. We've been here eight years of course, two years after we came, oil started drying right up, got laid off, decided it was time to do something I really wanted to do. So that's when I started my handyman business, uh, just doing, you know, looking for posts on Facebook, anything at all that people would, um, you know, need help with. So I started doing it and, you know, lost faith in myself a little bit because I wasn't busy as I wanted to be because this is something you don't build overnight. It takes a long time to do. So after a year, I kind of panicked, went back to what I knew, started back at a hardware store for a year, remembered about a week into it why I left the first time, 
I made a lot of good contacts, stayed there exactly a year, and during that time I worked mornings, evenings, weekends, whenever I had a day off to build this business to where I was, and uh, a year to the day I left and did this full-time. Awesome, man. So what what in all that was really like the trigger point that made you realize you wanted to be an entrepreneur? Well, honestly, I I use this, I talk about it in my videos quite a bit, but the motivation, you know, the the, the time freedom, the, I mean, don't, like I say time freedom, I mean, I work harder now than I've ever worked, but it's on my own schedule, so I can kind of choose as where I want to do, what I want to do, a little more time with the family, but I, I just really knew that I just did not want to be under someone else anymore. I wanted to be my own boss. I wanted to make my own decisions. Uh, and I wanted to be, you know, find some financial freedom in that. And that was really my motivation for doing it. Got you. Got you. Um, in your opinion now doing this for a while, where, where should a person start if they, they think this is a good niche for them? They want to become a handyman. Absolutely. You know, um, I, I guess, like like you always talk about too, but you know what you're good at, and just because you're good at something doesn't necessarily mean that you should turn it into a business. But I mean, you know what you're good at. Look at what skills you have. You know, one of the big ones is what kind of physical tools do you already own? Um, you know, go through your garage, make a list of what you have. Um, are you a good learner? Uh, you know, can you learn the skills you need? And do you mind um, dirty jobs and hard work? All of those things are areas, you know, questions you can ask to get started. Um, and then once you've done that, there's so much out there that you can do that is, it doesn't require any skill, doesn't require really any money, and um, you just started it. You know, if you've got a, a lawn tractor, you can mow lawns. If you have a shovel, you can, um, you know, shovel snow. And yeah, and then like I said, start as a side hustle because that's the big one. Um I, I've talked to a lot of people since I've started. You know, they find out about you and they want to talk to you and they say, you know, I'm ready to quit my job today and I want to go start my handyman business. I want to put my, my post out, put my sign up, have a website and, and, and go do it. But I, I tell everybody the same. Like, you know, I used to start first thing in the morning uh, at the post office. I'd go and shovel snow before I went to work. I'd go on my coffee break. I'd go on my lunch break. You know, do all this in the in-between time. And uh, it, it'll work out better for you because you'll start building a customer base and the whole the whole works. Um, what about skill set? I mean, I think people think like there's a I have to be able to do a lot of stuff to go into this business. And I think that maybe like the more you can do, the better. But that doesn't necessarily mean that you need to have like a, a PhD in handymanship before you start out. Oh, absolutely. I mean. <laughs> In this business, 50% of it is just showing up because there's so many yahoos out there that are – they're just working for beer money or worse, you know, and they say they're going to come, but then they don't show up. And then, you know, I always say 50% is showing up, 25% is showing up when you say you're going to show up, and that really only leaves 25% of your time, you know. And, and what that 25% if you focus your business on low skill set jobs like you know, shoveling dirt or cleaning up dog shit or uh, mowing lawns. Like none of that requires a PhD to do it. But if you're willing to, to push yourself to show up on time, to be there when you say you're going to be there, to do a good job and to talk to your customer, I mean, 
that's 95% of the business right there. Yeah, I, there's a huge component to that. Um, to me, it's probably the number one complaint that I have in people that I hire to do work for me. Like, if if you quote me a price, let's say I say I need task X and, and, and Y done, mm-hmm. and you say that's going to be 800 bucks, and I'm okay with 800 bucks. Yep. Unless I have a party starting that you're interfering with, if it takes you three days instead of two days to do it, I and as long as you clean everything up and as long as you show up when you say you're going to do it and you do what you said you're going to do, I, I don't really care. So, like, it is the kind of business that you can get some on-the-job training with. Now, you can only do that so long before you start to lose money. Um, but, I mean, so the good news of being a handyman is you might make less money this week, but if you're if you're a solopreneur, at least when you start out anyway, maybe you hire some help down the road with bigger jobs, but you you might burn more man hours, but you don't have a cost basis against them. It just means that this week you made less money than you would have if you could have done another job, assuming you even had another job to do when you're getting started out. So that ethic to be there when you say you're going to be there, and then shit goes wrong. It happens. Like no one thinks that the – okay, if the, if the person – we're going to talk more about the, the right client, but if the client yeah. you're dealing with does not understand that stuff does go wrong in the world – you don't want them anyway unless you're starving to death. And maybe still not then. Um, so when you know, if you make a phone call well before I expected you to be here and say, I'm going to be an hour late today because, insert reason here, not excuse, I'm okay with that. When you don't show up and I like had to put my dogs in or deal with the kids or make sure I was home for you to be there and you don't show up, you are – you've gone – there's – you know, there's – there's dog shit, there's duck shit, there's worm shit, there's snake shit, and then there's you. Mm-hmm. Because you've now, you're, the entire reason people like me hire a handyman is not generally because I can't do it. I don't want to and I don't have time. Now, if I'm burning time that I was supposed to be paying you to not have me burn, now I'm pissed. I, I was better off before I knew you than, than, than after. And if you don't let that happen... Most things can go wrong if you don't set the guy's house on fire or something like that. Will be forgiven immediately before they even are a problem. Absolutely. I mean that that's huge for me. You know, I, reputation. Like I, I, I talk about. Um, I live in a small town, so I mean, you live and you die by your reputation. And if if you don't show up once, you know they're going to tell t- they're going to tell ten people. You know what I mean? And when that happens you're already heading down a slippery slope and it, it, it's a hard boat to get turned around. Um, like, you know, number one, like you said, show up when, when you say you will. And, you know, I've never come back to a customer and said, this is going to cost you more than what I told you. I, I've eaten a loss before mm-hmm. and especially early on because, you know, I remember I, I originally, I, I quoted tearing down a shed and hauling it to the dump for $800. I mean, if I quoted that today, it would have been three times that, you know, sure. but, you know, so when it was all said and done, we probably made $5 an hour on that job, but I had nothing else invested in it. It was just time. I knew when I was done that job, I was still making the $800. And now I just quoted another one, a uh, slightly smaller one. Um, this is three years later and I have a great understanding of what it is, but you know, I'm going to quote that person, the price I give them and that's where it's going to stay. You know, I, I, if, if I have to eat a little bit on the other end of it, I'm okay with that because I don't have a lot of, um, 
there's not a lot of money or time. Well, time there is, but not a lot of money invested in the project. So, you know, if, if it takes me a little bit longer, it's not really a loss. It's just spreading that out over a little more time, if that makes sense. No, it makes perfect sense. I mean, any job that you're going to do is going to have two components, time and materials. And if you screw up the materials, that can really cost you. If you screw up the time, you're just working more. And and then Absolutely. and then life is a good teacher, like you said with that shed issue. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to do that again. I find myself like I'm probably not going to be a handyman. It's just not in my world um, what I want to be. But I do a lot of stuff for myself, and I'll often think like, hey, you know, somebody that took this could turn this into a business, and I'll do the first project and go, no. <laughs> no, probably not a good idea. The the, the 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 hours in this, and I'll look at it even, and I'll go, okay, well, that took me uh, 40 hours of work. Uh, yeah, with efficiencies, I can lean that. Now that I did one, I can lean it out to 28 hours. And I still think about, okay, a good hourly rate on that for what this – no, no, this is a do-it-yourself project. This is not a good – and maybe somebody will pay you for it, but not – it's not going to be something you're going to do two of a week. Like, you're not going to sell that number of them. And then there's other times I'm like, oh, that would really work, except – Here's all the dumbass things you did, and if you didn't do those dumbass things, you could make some money doing this. And in a handyman, you're going to have a lot of those like, oh, gee, I was a window licker moment today. Like, we all lick windows at times, sometimes to the point where we almost feel like we freebased on Windex and we're about to pass out. But you'll learn from that, and because it costs you, when you see it again, you're like, no, okay, I'll do this, but... And that way you can stick to your price. Now, I imagine there is a time when the price changes, and that's when me, your customer, goes, you know, I really want to change that from pine to cedar. Now, that's that's a totally different situation, and you have to be able to, you know, manage expectations with that. Absolutely, and that that is a totally different thing. Like I've never I've never gone back to a customer on my screw up and said, you know, it's going to cost you more. But you know, if they change it in in the scope of the project, then absolutely, we, you know, we I'm up front with them and we say, okay, well, let's look at what this is going to cost and, and we go from there. You know, my big thrust of doing this is I, I try to keep it mostly to just labor. I try not to do a lot of heavy material projects. You know, maybe a small deck. Uh, painting fences, that sort of thing. But, you know, I, I find, especially for pe- people looking to get into this, um, the big area is knowing um, just what not to invest in, you know? Like, don't spend a lot of money on this. Do a lot of the jobs that just require a lot of time, like, you know, yard maintenance and eaves trough cleaning and uh, snow removal and, you know, pet waste cleanup, all of that stuff, so that because the material end of things can be a huge stressor on you. And if you can keep that, that amount of cost out of your pocket and not have to, you know, rely on the next job to pay for the job you're on right now, all the better. Absolutely, absolutely. What are some thoughts that you have on the right customer? Because, yeah, so, you know, I mean, the good news is since you are a solo entrepreneur, um, if you get the wrong customer – you can even force yourself through that job, and then when they call you in the future, you can just be like, I'm sorry, I'm too busy this week. Why don't you call Fred? And then you're like, <laughs> send him to Fred. You know, um, but you know what you want is a book of business, and it, you, you can't always pick your customers, but if you could, what is the best customer profile? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, you know, I, I've kind of, like, uh, again, when you first start out with this, you'll take anything you you can get, you know, the old micro dirty jobs idea. Like, whatever you can get, you'll take it as long as you can do it. 
um, to, you know, to the best of the ability and the customer's happy. But as I've kind of grown in this, you know, uh, one group of customers that's been really good for me is, you know, senior citizens and people who are maybe a little bit physically infirmed, you know, they're the ones that have always done their regular maintenance on a regular basis, but they're the, to the point in their life now where it, it it's hard for them. You know, maybe they can't climb a ladder to do their eavesdrop. Mm-hmm. Maybe they can't push a mower anymore. You know, they're on, um, they're on a steady, but limited income, fixed income. So they, they know what they have to pay every month and I always treat them well, but they're, they're the type that's always looking for someone and you become their go-to, you know, they call you at seven o'clock at night when their garage door won't open. Um, you know, they, they call you when their uh, front door is sticking and they need it sanded off. And, you know, another elderly couple this year called me when they wanted to put the plastic film on the windows to insulate it. I know it's not, that's not an issue down in Texas, but up yeah. here we, you know, we got to stay as warm as we can. Right. So, you know, that's one. Um, another one is, uh, you know, I call them the upwardly mobile, uh, kind of exactly what you were saying. You know, the, the people that would rather spend their time, you know, doing whatever they want to do. They, they'd like to be at the lake drinking beer and they'd like to pay you to mow their lawns, clean their eaves trough, to uh, trim their hedges, you know, all of that kind of stuff. So and and they they lead to bigger projects because they're the ones that call you up and say, Hey, are you looking to, would you like to paint a 40 by 60, the inside of a garage this winter when times get a little bit slow for you, you know? So those are two, um, landlord property management. That has been huge for me. I've gotten into, um, there's one property management company that handles foreclosed houses. So I go in and I secure them. Um, then I, I clean them, I do any repairs, and then I do regular checks on them. I mean, there's literally no upfront front cost in that. I literally, I just have to have a cell phone to take pictures, a vehicle to get there, and short notice availability. And, uh, you know, and then landlords, they're always looking for someone that can, you know, so-and-so just moved out, and uh, they put a hole in the wall. And, um, you know, so from there, they, they just need somebody to come in and, and fix the drywall. Or maybe they need some painting. And then one other one that's always really worked for me is a small commercial client. So, you know, businesses that they've got five or ten employees, they, they don't have enough money to keep a, um, a maintenance guy on hand. So they're always looking for someone to come and maybe clean their windows or uh, paint a wall or, or trim some bushes, uh, blow off some driveways, pressure wash, you know, that sort of thing. So, I mean, that's just a few. There's others, but those are four that I've – that have worked really well for me that I've gone after and, and they've been lucrative for me. Those are great demographics. And from that, I would come up with more of a customer profile that describes the individual, no matter what niche they fall into. And listening to that, here's what I would say we're, you're looking for. Number one, you want a customer that's smart, that's educated, that, that doesn't, you know, have a, an unreasonable expectation of things, and that when you when you when they say, "Well, I want you to do this," and you say, "Well, if I do that, then I have to do these other things," they have the intellectual capacity to understand what you're saying and not think you're trying to rip them off, right? Yes. So you want smart. You want people that have money. You know, we used to in sales, we'd say there's two things you cannot sell to, and one is willful ignorance, and the other is poverty. Because yes. even if you're ignorant, I can cure it. Right. And willful ignorance is a really nice way of saying stupidity. I don't want to sell the stupid and I don't want to sell the poverty. So we, we, we solve those two more in keeping with what you're saying, understanding the value. People that understand the value of what you're doing. You mentioned like an older person that had always done, let's say, clean out their gutters or something like that. Well, that person has cleaned out gutters many times. 
They know how long it takes. They know that it's not fun. A person who has never cleaned a gutter and has always had some guy named Javier do it and never never understood what Javier did, and now Javier is gone, and they need somebody else to do it, and they don't understand that, well, maybe Javier was a landscaper or whatever. He was there anyway. And now you want someone to come and just do this one thing. They don't understand why you're charging what you're charging because, well, you know, I never paid Javier that much. Well, you paid Javier for all these things instead of this one thing. That's just one example of how that could be. The person that's done the work before, like, goes, I know why I don't want to do this, and now I am willing to pay for it, so I am willing to pay based on how long this person's going to take to do it. Um, another thing, then, would be have more projects than time. And there's different ways that plays out. For me, it's... You know, I would really rather be in my aviary this afternoon building my next aquaponics and, and, and wild project up because that's what I want to do than fixing the, 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 the drive belt for the, the PTO on my John Deere. I'd I, I just much rather do one than the other, um, and I can only do one, so I'll pay someone to do the other one because I have money and I'm smart enough to know that and I understand the value of doing it and I don't want to. And so, like, another way of getting that same formula is your landlord. If I'm a landlord and I'm just trying to flip this because I just lost a tenant and I need a new tenant in there, and I need a t t tenant in there who's not going to bitch because of the hole in the wall, and I got somebody coming tomorrow to look at the place, and I don't want the hole to be there when they get there, I, I, it's that old, you know, viral video with the lady in it. Ain't nobody got time for that. Like, I, I don't. I, all I want to do, I want to call, I want to call Tim. And I want to go, I'm done. I don't have to worry about that now. That is taken care of. And I'm calling somebody else to clean the carpets as soon as you're the hell out of there. And and so that has more projects than time, regardless of where those projects are, me screwing off or somebody that's business-oriented. And I think the best category, their best characteristic to have as a customer, no matter what business you're in, is the the best person to do business with regularly likes to see other people succeed. A person that feels good about the fact that, hey, Tim showed up, did a good job, and I paid him. He made a lot of money off me, and I got what I needed done, and I feel good about that. Like, people that, that their first reaction if they see somebody, you know, get something good in their life is, well, good for them. That's a great customer. The person that's like, must be nice, again, like you said in the beginning, you take what you can get, but as you get to where you can kind of build a book of business, you do not want any more must be nice customers then you can you know then you need to survive you want to like fire them slowly over time and replace them all with good for them customers good for them customers are people that while you're out there instead of you having an upsell and we're going to talk about that in a second cuz I'm sure you do that all good handymen do but they're thinking well I've got him here for the day hey you doing anything else today I don't have anything else today hold on and I start walking around my own property and I start looking while he's here what else can I give him while he's here that I would like taken care of? Good for them people will basically be your sales force for you on their own property and must be nice people will be like trying to get rid of you so you don't suggest something. And if you can find people that fit that, that set of characteristics or that set of intrinsic values and then you match them to your, your niches you just pointed out, you get really stable, really good business. Then you get customers that you want to have and that want you to come around, if that makes sense. Absolutely. I, and, you know, they, they become your biggest fans, too. So they don't just find you work while you're at their property. 
you know, they actively share your page on Facebook. They tell their buddies about you. They, you know, they can't stop talking about you. And it's great. Like, you know, they, I I have one customer who is a local business owner and, uh, you know, she, she was the first one that shared our page locally and really, really made me feel like I was a part of the community. And, uh, you know, she's one of my biggest champions and, uh, she's brought so much business to me, you know, and, and that's just one customer. And I have, I can't even count how many customers have led to other customers because, again, they're your biggest champion. They um, they love to talk about you and they love to give you work and they love to see you succeed. And you're absolutely right. I've slowly fired a few customers over time who are those, you know, get them out of here before we find something else we should do type customers. Yeah, and, and sometimes the way you fire them, like I said, is you don't want to be nasty about it. You're just like, I, I can't get there for the next two weeks. Um you know, and maybe you know some guy's just kind of up and coming or something. You want to help out in your market? Hey, call call Fred. You know, somebody you don't really like. It's like wishing it on your worst enemy type thing. But you know, there there is there is definitely that. Um, what are some services that you provide that don't really require a lot of investment that you can start making some income on immediately? Because there's some jobs where you might actually take a job and go, I really need a nail gun for this job, and maybe you break even on that job. But now you have a nail gun. And yep. now you can do other jobs and do them faster because now you have a nail gun. That that kind of thing happens all the time. But you can't expect a customer to pay for your nail gun, at least knowingly so. So what are some of the things you can do to generate cash flow early on without large capital outlays? Sure, yeah. And I mean, for the record, especially early on, there was a ton of times that I buried the cost of a new tool in a job. You know, I knew the only money I was going to make off this job was going to buy me my hedge trimmer for the next one. Yeah. But yeah, anyway, that yeah, so – you know, I got a video series on YouTube uh, for a short, nice search engine friendly title. I call it uh, starting a handyman business with no money. But what it really should be called is, you know, starting a handyman business with little or no money using what you already have on hand, um, because that's the type of thing that you can get started. You can do today without, you know, really spending any money at all. But, uh, you know, like I said, just walk through your garage, see what you have. Um, I, there's just a ton of services. I, I've paired some of mine back, but I mean, you know, cleaning up dog poop, that requires nothing more than a shovel and a pail. Uh, gutter cleaning services requires a ladder and a bucket. And, you know, as long as you're not nervous about being up on a roof, all the better. Uh, the very first time we did um, that shed demolition, I didn't even use a power tool. We used a pry bar and a hammer, and that was it. We built, we beat the whole thing down. So, I mean, that was, there was nothing involved in that. Um, if you want to offer janitorial services, which we do, um, you know, a broom and a mop is all you need to get started. You can go, you know, you can go deeper into that, but I mean, who doesn't have a broom and a mop, you know? If you, if you own a shovel, you can do snow removal. Like I said about property management, all you need is a cell phone to take pictures and a willingness to be available on short notice. Um, you know, if you have a lawnmower, you can mow lawns. Um, and, you know, if you own your own house or have a property you take care of already, you probably have that. You know, if you take on five lawns uh, every Saturday, you can, you know, it takes me about a half an hour to do the average size lawn. Um, so say even 45 minutes. So if, if you take a half a day every Saturday, take on five lawns at $50, that's, that's an extra $1,000 a month. That's pure cash other than a little bit of gas that goes into the mowers. Um, you know, so, and, and I don't know anybody that can't use an extra thousand bucks. So, you know, it's pretty cool. And spring and fall yard cleanups, all you need is garbage bags and a rake. Um, you can do dog walking, house sitting for people while they're away on vacation. Um, another huge one for us, you know, I have a truck. So if you have a truck, you can do dump runs. Um, especially right now where everybody's home, they're cleaning out their houses. 
Uh, you know, we're on track to do a hundred trips to the dump this year and our, our landfills only open 150 days a year. And there's huge money in that. You know, people will pay you to get rid of their stuff. Mm. And then I take, I, so of course this was my side hustle turned into my full time gig. So of course now I need another side hustle. So, you know, I save all the copper from any of my demolition jobs, batteries that people throw out, like, uh, lawn, um, lawn tractor, car batteries, um, and, uh, recyclables, like, you know, redeemables or whatever. And I think last year we made about an extra three grand, turned that into tools for the business, just from stuff that was literally going to the dump. And this year we'll probably double that. Just, and it, it doesn't take a lot of space because, you know, copper's worth quite a bit. I know it's something simple, but I'm always looking at ways to make extra money coming out of the business. There's a lot in that. First, I want to go back. We, I kind of skipped over sure. this when we were talking about getting more customers because your existing customers become big fans. That's a huge thing, and I'll, I'll give you an example of how powerful that is. There will be things that I want to get done, and I don't know who to have them, to, who, who to get, who to get to do it. And maybe a friend will come over and notice it, and I'll be like, "Yeah, I need to get that taken care of," but I don't, I don't really have time to screw with it right now, and I don't have a reliable person to handle it. If that person gives me a name, I won't do it because I don't make calls like this. My wife will be calling them within 24 hours. Mm-hmm. The second I know that problem can go away and a person I trust gave me a name, that problem's going away. It, you know, Unless I was like short on money for the month or something, there is no way I am not making that phone call unless, you know, if it's a big enough job, I might be deferring uh, a, a capital expenditure. If it's like when we put the... Uh, the kitchen and the outdoor kitchen, and that's a $20,000 job. I'm not just doing that because I got a name. But there's a lot of little piddly shit, a couple hundred bucks, that I just want this problem to go away. And the second someone says, I know someone who can do that, they're doing it. <laughs> like So the, the, the value of, of getting um, that that kind of a name association where people will mention you when, when they're happy versus when they're angry, because you mentioned earlier, like, once you get a bad rep, you're screwed. And people will tell other people you suck for no reason at all other than they're mad. <laughs> they generally need some reason to say that they like you, right? Either someone says, hey, do you know someone? Or they, you know, they're over at a house and they see like a deck. Yeah, man, you should really stay in that deck, man. It's, you know, it's the sun here and it's, you know, pretty rough. And, and then when you're like, well, I, yeah, I don't have time right now and that's not a big job or nothing, I just, well, I know, you know, I know Tom or Tim. He does that. I'm calling Tim. Done, right? Because I had to buy the stain anyway, so I'm calling Tim. Uh, that, that's that's a huge thing. Um, the the other thing you, you know you were talking about there is building the cost of tools into jobs. I think that's whenever you can do that, you should. It expands what you're able to do, and then do not discount the advice Tim just gave you on hauling shit away for people. Right now, my truck needs some work, and it's another thing I don't have the time to deal with right now. I just don't. And so we have a chest freezer, not a chest freezer, a stand-up freezer that crapped the bed, and the guy looked at it and said, it costs you more for me to fix this than you should get another one. It needs to go away. It is big and bulky and a pain in the ass, and I'm paying someone to show up this week and take it away. Because I have two choices. I sit there and look at it, and it takes a space that I don't need it taken up, or I pay somebody to take it away because I'm not putting it up on the roof of my brand-new Challenger. That's not happening. <laughs> so it has to go away. So I'm paying someone to come take away crap right now. You know, And, and there's, there's money in that. When I 
um, had like some, I don't know if you saw this on YouTube. This happened about a year and a half ago now. Some guy, probably drunk, but got away with being drunk, fell asleep at the wheel and took out over 200 feet of my fence. Just snapped it. The only thing stopped him was a tree. If it wasn't for that tree, he would have ended up in the neighbor's living room. And that was another 150 feet. And I guarantee you he would have never stopped. And so I had to have that fence replaced. Now, the guy that came and gave me the bid, he was a professional at doing fences. That's his job. That's what he did. Now, he has an issue, and that is he quotes the job, which includes taking all of this screwed-up fencing stuff away. That's not how he makes his money. You don't require the skill set, the tools, the knowledge, the time, and the help that it takes to put a fence in to take old pieces of fence away. So some dude looked like a typical Texas redneck, and I'm not saying that in a negative way. I call myself a redneck all the time, just so people understand if you're new here. He pulls up in that truck, and him and his, it looked like his girlfriend or his wife get out, you know, and they dismantled because it was chain link, and it was bad. It was some Chinese puzzle stuff. So they got bolt cutters out and stuff, and they cut things up, and they got it all on a trailer, and they took it away. And I'm sure he took it and sold it for scrap. And I'm sure that the guy that did the fence job paid him to take it away at the same time. So in that case, basically what you had is somebody doing kind of a handyman-level service, but his client was a higher-level contractor. And so there are so many ways you can start folding things into each other and understand how much work there is to be done out there. And like you said, even now, people think, well, work works down right now. Uh, uh, not for me. I'm here so much, I see more of the shit that I don't want to deal with, and I want it to go away. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, now I have to look at it. So I'm more willing to pay to get it to go away, if that makes sense. It does. And that I, I honestly expected to be a little quiet this year. You know, I lost a couple of lawn mowing customers early in the season because they want to do it themselves. But I, I, I've been blown away. I'm twice as busy this year because people are home. They're looking. They're getting projects done, but there's only so much they can do of it, so they need me to do it. And, uh, yeah, it, I, it's just blown me away at how many people have called. And, you know, as far as the junk thing goes, you know, I, I could save a lot more of what I send to the landfill than I do. But after you do it for a while, you start finding the things that, you know, the few things that can make the most amount of money without taking up a lot of space. Because I used to keep everything, you know. Oh, that's a nice chair. I'll keep that and sell it online, you know. And yeah. eventually you get to the point where you have a garage full of stuff. You are a junkyard. <laughs> exactly. You know, and if I can't, if I, if I know I can't sell something within a week, I don't keep it. And, uh, but, but yeah, it, it, it's gotten big for us, you know, so that, that's a neat little side hustle. That's, you know, that could be a full-time job for somebody in certain areas, you know? So, yeah. I'm pretty sure that the guy coming to get my freezer, that's all he does. It's just haul off. And, you know, and I mean, markets, markets are variable. If you're in a market that's a little bit smaller, like you are, you might have to be a lot more diverse where if you're in a market like Dallas Fort Worth, we have 7 million people. Yeah. There's always somebody everywhere that wants to throw something away and can't figure out how to get rid of it. You know, and I can think of things that like would expand that availability too. Like, so you say you have a truck, so you can get rid of stuff. You have a truck and a trailer, you can get rid of twice as much. Absolutely. Like, there's always things you can do. And then there's always people that say they want to do it that don't, that you can take business from. Like, right now, since the truck's not, I don't feel comfortable, I'll just put it this way, putting, you know, a couple tons of, of dirt on it. My wife has prettied up this garden spot. We need, it's only five miles from here. 
as the materials place and I get compost and topsoil and all. We need, you know, maybe two, three truckloads of topsoil brought in, shoveled off the truck and thrown into the spot. It's not hard. Anybody with a truck could do it. We talked to one guy on next door that he, he's a handyman and he wants to do it. First thing he says, well, you can just get that delivered. Well, first of all, if I got it delivered, what the hell do I need you for? Because they'll dump it wherever I tell them. Mm-hmm. Second of all, they bring a 12, 12 cubic yard dump truck that I do not want driving on my property. So I guess you didn't want this job. So right now, literally anybody that would go do that job in my area has that job. They just have to say, I want to do that job. That's all they have to do is have the, and, and, and my wife's like, well, what if they call, I said, tell them what you need. And if they look at you funny, <laughs> like they don't understand, take dirt put here, then you just tell them no. Like I, that's my interview. If I have to explain more than put this dirt in this spot and spread it out level, then you are not qualified to spread out dirt. And I don't know what you're doing here, <laughs> but there's always people like that. You can just take business from. You know, because the, like you said, show up on time, explain yourself and keep your word and, and, and be smart enough to understand, put dirt here. And I think you can do something with this and then you can build from that. Absolutely. I, you know, I, and if, if you, if you can't follow, you know, drop dirt here, spread here, then you're probably in the wrong business. But, you know, <laughs> we've done that. You know, I've had people who have had, uh, you know, truckloads of dirt dumped just outside their property and then we we hauled it in by wheelbarrow sure you know, that too you know it, that sounds like hard work but you know we, we did 12 yards of soil in two hours you know sure. it's not that bad um you know in large items that's another thing that we do great in is uh large awkward items i had a guy call me he had a 400 pound cast iron uh boiler in his basement that had to come out the uh, plumber was supposed to take it they kept putting it off, putting it off, saying they were going to hire somebody. So finally, he just called me up, hired me, and then sent the bill to the guy. And, you know, we've got a little a little better gear. We used that job to buy some heavier dolly carts. But, you know, and then this winter, we moved uh, an 800-pound uh, ice chest freezer that uh, a water company uses for making um, ice. There's no one else in the area that moves that stuff. So, you know, there's all these little niches you can slide into that, you know, are very lucrative and make really good money. You know, um, I'll give you an example of somebody that's doing kind of, it's more of a moving business, but it still fits this. And again, I think you need a big market for this to get you enough business to be worth doing. But the guy does it kind of, kind of sort of part time. Um, and the way he got started with this, he wanted a pool table. So he, he goes on Craigslist and finds all these really great pool tables for sale. And, but he has no way to move a pool table. And he starts talking to people and realizing, like, the reason all these pool tables are so stupid cheap is no one really is prepared to move a real pool table. You know, a little cheapo six-footer that's foam board or something. Sure. But, you know, an eight- or nine-foot slate table is thousands of pounds, and it's complex. And usually it almost will require either some really big equipment to move or – you're going to basically take down the slate and recover it. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times when people are selling a table, it's kind of in a state where it probably could use recovering. So he ended up getting like all the stuff and completely set up in one body where they know how to move a, a table. They know how to move and recover a table. And he, he goes on Craigslist every day, calls up every single person advertising a pool table that's anything that would be complex to move, and says, this is my name, this is what I do, this is how much I charge to move a table, plus mileage. If anybody contacts you, 
and wants a table but can't figure out how to get it where they are, give them my name and I'll, and you can already hear you. Basically, he's formulated to where you can give them a price for me and call me up and I'll quote them a time that I can do it and I'll take care of it. And I think he does, you know, like three or four a week. He only works a couple, three days a week. And it's just basically all he wants. He's got some other little things he does and that's just his little, you know, his little gig. And that's all he does is move pool tables. And he said he thought, thought about getting into moving spas, and he decided it was too much of a pain in the ass. So he just stuck pool tables. That's genius. I, I mean, you know, and you know, even in my small area, you know, how many times I've seen people who are basically giving away pool tables because they don't want to pay someone to move it. So you know, same thing. Like they're they're basically paying you to get rid of something that they they don't know how to, or getting you to pay them to get rid of something they don't know how to get rid of. So yeah, that's awesome. I, man, well, thinking if you're selling a pool table, you usually need to get rid of it. Yes. Nobody sells a pool table because they're like, you know what, I just don't play pool anymore. People that are like that, they just put a cover on it and figure it looks nice there. When people are moving, when people are out of money, whatever, so they need it gone. person buying it just wants a pool table. And generally they get such a good deal that if they have to pay you a few hundred bucks, and he said he charges anywhere between like low end about $250 and high end over a 1000 to move an average pool table. Then they're, you know they're buying a four thousand dollar pool table for five hundred bucks. To them, they're still ahead. And and like I said, the first time you try to move, a, you know, a lot of these big tables are like three piece slate. So it's three pieces of slate they have to be shimmed. Everything has to be perfect. It's hard and it's heavy. Mm-hmm. And and getting one and setting it up is one thing. Taking it down, putting it back together, right? And uh, he said, yeah. He said, I have as much business as I want. If I decide I want less business, I make less calls that week. And almost everybody he calls is like, yeah, thank you. Not everybody does anything, but everybody's like, oh, that's great. Everybody writes down his information, and as soon as they get somebody that doesn't know how to move it, boom, they make a phone call, and he's got a job. That's freaking genius. That's awesome. Right on. (laughs) And there's there's so much like that. Like, we have a lady that takes care of our above-ground pool because I don't take care of pools. And my wife always wants a pool. And I'm always like, I don't care how you do it. I'm just not doing it. I'll buy a pool. I'll pay for it, but if you want a pool that I would never have if it was just me, and if I did, there'd be fish swimming in it, then you need to make sure that it's taken care of. And I don't mind if you hire someone. Well, it turns out it's hard to find somebody that does above-ground pools. Hmm. All the pool companies want to do below-ground pools. I don't know if it's a demographic thing or whatever, but they just really don't like doing above-ground pools. The guy I had before, this lady we have now, he's making seventy-five grand a year doing pools till he decided to retire. Now, he's, again, DFW, 7 million people, every, you know, and his, his hunting for business as he pulls up Google Maps, goes into a neighborhood and goes, pool, 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 and then knocks on the door, hey, this is what I do, here's a brochure, bye, call me if you need me. Um, and to the point where he got some word of mouth, he didn't even do that anymore, and then, like I said, then he retired. Um, you may not be able to do that in a small market, but boy, it's a good service, you know, and it ain't hard, I just don't want to do it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And uh, yeah, I mean, that that's all it takes is, is building that. Yeah, like you said, I, I don't even need to advertise anymore at this point. You know, it's just word of mouth and it keeps coming. And yeah, in a small town, I've had to diversify, but, you know, we've been at least that successful and, you know, probably, you know, more successful than that. So it, yeah, it, it starts somewhere and you got to know your market. 
And, uh, you know, if you're in a big area, you can really, really be specific and get really a, to a micro niche. But it, Or if you're in a small, small town, you, you might have to, you know, incorporate as much as you can. But, but it's doable for sure. What about stacking services? You know, in permaculture, we always talk about function stacking. You put this thing in, and it does this thing plus this thing plus this thing, and it connects to that thing. How do you maybe stack services with your customers so that you can make that customer worth more revenue for the year, the month, the lifetime, whatever? Absolutely. I, you know, I always talk to my customers. I have a chat like that. That goes back to sales. I, you know, I always do the kind of low key sale thing anyway. But you know, I, I genuinely care for my customers. I like to know what's going on in their life, and I chat with them every time I go. I have a little talk with them, and uh, you know, it usually starts out with they either hire you to do snow or, or a dump run, something like that. And then you talk to them, hey, do you, you know, do, do you mind, are you looking for someone to clean your windows? Uh, what about your eaves trough? Um, or, hey, you know, we've been doing your grass, but we also offer hedge trimming, shrubbery trimming, uh, limb removal, all of that stuff. So, you know, it all comes down to a conversation, making the customer aware, because a lot of times they don't even necessarily think about us for a certain service until I tell them, and then all of a sudden, you know, instead of them being a hundred dollar a month customer, they become a two or three hundred dollar a month customer. Um, you know, just simple. I know that's just a simple funny sales tactic and technique, but it's worked really well for me. Absolutely, man. So you you've talked also about doing something like a subscription based lawn service. What do you, what do you mean by that? Yeah. So I was inspired to do this <laughs> you know one day i was i was a couple of summers ago and i was listening to uh one of your podcasts with nicole and she was talking about of course her coffee of the month club and it just hit me i don't know why anyway so you know everybody does in this area a monthly snow contract you know so and, and that's nice because the customer knows uh how much they're going to pay every month you know our snow season typically runs november 1st to the end of march here so every month they pay a flat rate whether I have to do their snow once or 30 times. Uh, works great for me because I don't have someone complaining, well, why did you come and do my snow when there was only half an inch, you know? And it, it, it saves a lot of work for me because I come every morning before anybody's walked on it, blow the snow off, and it's 10 times quicker. So, you know, that sort of thing works uh, for snow, but nobody had really been doing it for lawn mowing. So, again, you know, our lawn mowing season runs from May 1st to the end of September. And I basically, um, you know, I had a lot of customers who were only five-month-of-the-year customers for the snow. So I decided, hey, why don't we try sliding them into a, a summer contract as well? So, you know, my price might be a little lower than some people, but I offered the monthly rate of snow for the customers mowing. And, uh, you know, I ended up getting 50 to 60% of my customers on because again, you know, in May I may need to mow their lawns every four or five days, but in August I might only need to mow them once or twice the entire month. Again, they have a set rate that they pay every month for those five months. They know what it is. I have a steady income and, you know, I'm, I'm not waiting you know, some customers want you to come every two weeks, and when you do that, it's three times as hard to mow. It's harder on your gear, harder on your equipment, and I and this way I can schedule a weekly visit to go and do their lawns, and uh, it's worked out surprisingly well for me and my customers. Yeah, that's interesting because you're about as small as business gets, um, yep. in head headcount anyway, and like one of the biggest businesses you will ever find is an electric company. 
I mean, you're talking huge corporation. And the electric company in Texas does the exact same thing. Let's, they call it bill leveling. Okay. And they just look at, like, okay, you, you know, your bills are real high and kind of opposite, you know, July, August, mid-September, and then the coldest part of winter, and it's lowest in between, and this is your average rate, and they just do bill averaging. And then that way a person has a very consistent electric bill, and they'll do little mini adjustments if they see it, you know, like it might be an extra 20 bucks this month, but you don't have, you know, a bill that's $100 one month and $250 the next. Mm-hmm. And they're doing the same thing. Because you're going to buy that service anyway, and they don't really care how you pay for it. And so and the, what you're doing is you're not just leveling their expenditure, you're leveling your cash flow. Absolutely. And that makes you a lot more resilient because you don't have as much of a lean time. That's- and that, oh, sir, yeah, that, that, that's worked for me. Like, you know, I always count on April and October. Those are my two months that I don't have snow or mow contracts. I mean, traditionally, they're really busy because those are the months where people want you to get things geared up or shut them down for winter for us. So, you know, I basically have 10 months of the year where I I know what my base income is going to be. Everything else I get on top of that is gravy. And I always make sure that we have, you know, we've set money aside in, in case April or October becomes quiet. But, but I'm even starting to get customers now who want to just carry their monthly rate on and say in April, I do a spring yard cleanup and in October, I do an eaves trough cleaning. And, uh, so then they're 12 month of the year customers. I don't have a ton of those yet, but I'm heading in that direction. But, you know, even 10 months of the year with, uh, you know, fairly guaranteed income is, is a huge thing for someone in a, in an industry that can be so much feast or famine. Absolutely. So, um, when you just look at the totality, how important do you see sales and customer service in the industry that you're in? Well, absolutely. Like I said, I, I did, you know, sales for almost a decade and a half and didn't matter where I worked. I was always, you know, one of the top salespeople. But, you know, I was always the, you know, chat with you and, and talk about sales. And to me, the biggest thing I'm selling is, is myself and, and my, my service to the customer. So, you know, I, I can go and I can, I can talk almost anyone into, you know, to giving us the job, which is great because that's what a salesman does. But if you don't deliver on the other end of it, it becomes, uh, you know, a huge issue because then you're a liar, right? You said, oh, I can do this job, but, but I really can't. So, you know, you, you need to be out there. You know, I spend a day a week at least going out and talking to new customers or even existing customers who have another job for me to come and see. And, uh, you know, if I wasn't out there doing the sales end of things, the work would somewhat dry up for sure. So, you know, even though it's a service business, sales play a huge part in it for me. Yeah, I, I would agree. The, the Sales is the infantry of the business world. And when you're a one-man person, you're, if you don't sell, you're, you're a military unit with no infantry. And they tell you, I mean, I was an infantry, I was a mechanic in the Army, I was in logistics, basically, and they tell you that every single job in the military is to support the infantry. Like, our entire purpose is the infantry. And sales is kind of the other way around, kind of backwards, forwards, where without the infantry that is sales, nothing else even has a purpose. Like, because there is no customer, then it's just you running around with a truck. It doesn't actually do anything. It certainly doesn't pay the bills. Yeah. Well, that was the oil patch here. You know, um, when when things started drying up, 
you know, the first jobs that went were all the, I always, I hate to get call it, but the busy work office jobs, you know, because if it weren't for the guys out in the field fixing the wells, the people in the office wouldn't have the job. And those were the first ones that dried up because all of a sudden the money wasn't coming in. So yeah, absolutely. Uh, how would you say a business like your handyman business would tie into, you know, preparedness and modern survivalism? Well, you know, for me, I guess I, the whole jack-of-all-trades type thing, it really sharpens your uh, problem-solving skills. You know, I have learned a ton of skills running this business that I can, you know, that turn around and help me to be able to do basically anything I need to do, you know, be self-sufficient, uh, be able to build things that I would otherwise have to hire someone else to build. Um, but the big one, and this is one like you talk about a lot, but a lot of other people in the preparedness don't, and that's the the financial stability and freedom. And, you know, we we personally are in much better financial shape than we have ever been. And this has set us up to be financially independent. You know, we're not reliant on another company to be paying me all the time. Um, it, I'm always learning, like I said, new skills, sharpening them. Uh, it's helping with my problem solving. I mean, all of these are tenets of modern survivalism that are that are huge that, you know, I get paid to, to work on and learn. So it, it's awesome. Yeah, and I think one of the, that really kind of ties into one of the real advantages of being a small business like you are, and that is if this particular thing that was making me lots of money starts to go away, I'm I'm five days at the outside from figuring out some other thing to exploit. Uh, because even if I'm really flexible as a company, if I have 20 employees and none of them know how to do Wijimowo, whatever the hell skill that is, right? It doesn't matter. Uh, I got 20 people I got to train. Mm-hmm. So I can go into the Wijimowo, you know, niche. Where if it's just me, if I can figure that shit out tomorrow, I could be in that business on Thursday. Right? I mean, that's, I mean, that's, that's how quick you can adapt. And that's something that big companies, you know, and that's not their strength. They, they don't even want to do that. That is not, because what you have to do when you're, if you're anything bigger than you and one helper, you can watch at all times. You have to build to the idiot level. And I think people get really upset when I say that. But if you'd ever run a company with more than three people in it, you'd understand what I'm saying. You have to have positions that you can bring a person into that everything that person needs to be able to be functional in that job, even if they've never done it before, takes you a week to teach them. If it takes you more than a week to teach them and there's enough of that work to keep them busy for whatever hours you commit to giving them a week, and that has to be their baseline. And from there, they can prosper and grow and learn and become a higher-level person in your organization. If you don't have that entry-level position, then the only thing you can be hiring is very highly qualified people because you can't afford to pay somebody to fart around for two months to figure out their job. And when you're dealing with a highly customer-focused type thing, let's say I went into pool business and I'm hiring people to clean pools. When I send Tony out by himself to clean his own pool, he better know what the he's doing, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, he better know what because he can cost me from one mad customer, like you were saying with referrals, he can cost me everybody that person ever talks to. Mm-hmm. And so I have to have a, a, a dummy level for Tony when he comes to work for me where I put him with Steve and Steve knows what he's doing and he has to be able to add enough value as Steve's assistant to justify his existence. When you have one person, and I don't know if you ever do, but if you might occasionally hire a couple people here and there, you don't give a damn about Tony and Steve because they don't affect you. (laughs) 
<laughs> you know, and that's a totally different world that you that, that that you're in. And it it's what I did. I I ran the biggest company I ever ran. I was uh, the uh, the COO of a company. We had 65 employees, but we had 1,200 contractors. You know what I want? You know what I want to do that again? Never, <laughs> never, never. <laughs> I don't ever, ever, ever want to do that ever again. It sucked. Paid well, but it sucked. I was miserable. I came home wanting to punch holes in the wall. Then I got to pay someone like you to come fix it. It doesn't work, you know. Um, and I love, I love that people can do it. So there's people that thrive on doing that. But I think that like people that are geared toward what you're doing is different. It is from what I'm doing. Are the same type of person both of us are. You like it's all on me, but. Because it's all on me, I make my own rules, and if I hate this person, I don't take their work anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, and you, there's another saying here. This I got from a mentor a long time ago. He said, "Life is like a shit sandwich. The more bread you have to eat, the, le- the more bread you have, the less shit you have to eat." So you, <laughs> you might have to take some customers you really don't want early on, like you've admitted to, and I've done it myself. Um, but once you get to a certain point where, like, I don't have any doubt that I'm going to have enough money. To pay my bills, and if I want a six-pack of beer a day, I can buy that, whether I need it or not. If I want it, I can. Where I can start telling people, I'm sorry, I can't help you anymore. And, and, and you can't do that in bigger companies because you got now i got to feed people. Right now i got to take the asshole customer because i got 20 guys working for me. And if I don't take these two jobs from these two people that are jackasses, I'm going to have to lay people off. And that's a, that's a burden that you don't have as a, as a very small company. You have a lot more flexibility. It's it's just me and uh, my brother-in-law. He's he's my okay. only employee, and we, you know, it's great. Like, a, do I ever want to go any bigger than that? Hell no, not <laughs> even a little bit. You know, like I am, you know, I I knew a guy that he worked his entire life going in the woods, cutting firewood and selling it. He had a, a five-ton truck, you know, a tractor, and that was it. And he was independently wealthy. And then I knew other guys that drove great big harvesters had 12 guys on their crew and couldn't afford to pay, make payroll because they, they went too big. I mean, there is money to be made in being self-contained, a small unit. You know what you're dealing with. You can roll with the punches. If something dries up, you know, all of a sudden I can go to cleaning carpets because I have a carpet shampooer. You know, I mean, yeah. it, it's, that's just one example, but I mean, there's thousands, you know? Well, I, here, so here's something. You seem like you're a pretty good salesperson. This is what I would say could be a really great value-add revenue that wouldn't take much. You tell me if I'm wrong, but I would think that if I came to you and said, I have a full bathroom remodel. I want tile. I want, I mean, and I want it to be like spa-like. I want, I'm very particular. You do other work for me, but you know what I am, and I'm talking a full remodel. You would probably say to a job like that, that's beyond what we do. Is that Would that be accurate? Absolutely. Yeah, you, we don't do that. So every person you work for has a bathroom. Some portion of those bathrooms are going to need to be remodeled. That is a type of job that larger companies specialize in. I would, if it was me and I was running a handyman business in Dallas-Fort Worth, I would find the absolute best company that I know will never screw up my relationship. I would go to them and I'd say, I want you to train me to be able to issue a quote on your behalf as a salesperson for you, and I want to work commission only. Huh. And then I would, hey, you know, do you do bathrooms? Well, what do you mean? Because, like, if you're saying you want me to tile a backsplash, I'll probably do that, right? But, oh, no, I want a full rip-out gut, whatever. Huh. No, I don't, but I know someone. Can I get their name? No, I got better than that for you. Let me go get paperwork. <laughs> and you can write that whole thing up, estimate, whatever. 
you know, and basically hand them a contract. And that takes you an hour and you were there anyway. And then all of a sudden you're in the bathroom sales business. But I mean, I would want a company that I know will never F me over. Like they, you will never be like, you know what? I, I thought Tim was a good guy, but he hooked me up with these jerks over at, you know, bathrooms are us and they're just assholes. And I, I now, now Tim is the, the bottom of the, the barrel below the snake shit. You don't ever want that to happen to you, but there's companies and they're probably the most expensive ones. Fine. That means they have margin to pay their salespeople. And I would take any job that's just out of my reach, but I understand, and I would form a consortium of larger companies that I have a deal with. And when one says, no, that's fine, I'll go talk to your competitors, because someone's going to say yes, because why wouldn't you? I'm going to hand you contracts to do based on your own sales formulas, and I'm never going to take any work from you because I don't do that. Well, I don't, don't trust that you won't. They're fine. I'll go do work for you. You know, I mean, and I would even, I would even say I'll sign an exclusive agreement with you. I won't refer business to anybody else for this duration in this period, you know, with an understanding that you're, you're revealing to me how to price your jobs. Or I'd say, you know what? You don't want me to price it and all. That's fine. Then I, what can we do? Is it 200 bucks for me to flip you business that closes? Mm-hmm. Whatever it is. Cause that, then I'm doing no work. Then it's like, I know somebody. Let me kind of write up what you need, get you, like, you could also do that instead of saying, well, because sometimes, because as I think about that, if I'm a, a bathroom specialty company, there's all kinds of options, tiles, et cetera. I might not want to reveal some of my proprietary ways that I do things to somebody that's completely independent. But, okay, what is, what is the completely and totally qualified lead look to you like? Budget, timeline, you know, kind of what they're thinking so that I can hand basically a one-sheeter. And if that closes, you give me 150 bucks. It's free money. Absolutely. I, you know, and, and that works in a small town too, because, you know, I, I talk about needing to have um, a, a good list of contacts because, you know, there's times that you're going to get in a job and all of a sudden something's going to show up that you didn't think was there and it might be outside of your skill set and you might need to bring in an expert to fix it for you or help you with it. And, uh, you know, that, that's just one area, but if I, I, I keep a, you know, I try to keep contacts with as many good fellers as I can because there's a ton of times when there's a job that I can't do or don't have the time and I'll flip it to so-and-so. And then, you know, the next time when someone calls him and says, Hey, do you do this or do you, do you crawl under trailers? And I'm the only guy in town that crawls under mobile homes. Mm-hmm. So people call me for that, you know, and I'm, I'm a big dude. Like there's lots of guys a lot smaller than me that can that do it. ain't doing it. <laughs> but I, I just, you know, and, and it, yeah, I think I probably crawled under eight of them last year and they're, you know, they're a tight squeeze. There's lots of weird things to do under there. But yeah, I mean, so it works both ways with small towns like that. Absolutely. So, Hey man, I really appreciate you, uh, you being with us today. Uh, you got any online resources or anything you want to mention here at the end? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, if you, if you want to know what we do on a daily basis, we got a Facebook page that's, uh, active. I put pictures and ideas up there all the time. That's, uh, at facebook.com slash all seasons main. And then I got a, a YouTube channel that we've been running, uh, this year. It's been, you know, it's grown pretty quick. I, I got a 10, 10 video series on there called how to start a handyman business with no money. And, uh, just started or just finishing up a five part series on, I call it anxiety and entrepreneurship. Basically things that people are worried about and 
coping mechanisms and skills that I've learned that have helped, you know, learning how to say no, uh, dealing with an economic downturn, um, what to do when you're in over your head, just things like that, you know. And then we got another series starting uh, in two weeks on building, you know, now that you've built that successful handyman business, how to grow it. So, yeah, that, and that's at uh, All Seasons Maintenance. Uh, that's our business on YouTube as well. Well, all right, Tim. I really enjoyed this interview. I knew I would, but I enjoyed it more than I even thought I would. And uh, I appreciate <laughs> you uh, you being with us today. Hey, thanks for having me on. Uh, you know, I've been a longtime listener, and uh, I appreciate it. Uh, one of your you know one of your biggest fans, and uh, I appreciate all the support that you've given me, even though you may not know it. So, thanks a lot. Thanks, man. Well, really great interview with a really great guy, and I, I think that it's going to be one of those types of interviews that people kind of sit back and say, you know what. I can do that. In fact, I can do that better. And I think, like, Tim got a lot of stuff out of me that I just forgot about. Like the pool table business, I think that was several years ago that I discovered that guy doing that and was like, man, that's a great business. I don't know that I've ever brought that up. And see, I don't want you to necessarily say, you know what, I'm going to go in the pool table business, even if your market's big enough for it, like because there's there 20 people doing that or the spa business, you know, moving spas or whatever. But what I want you to do is, like, realize there's always something. Man, junk hauling, I'm telling you right now, there's there's money in that. We When I said we're hiring someone to come get rid of a chest freezer, I'm, I'm not kidding. Um, and i got to get rid of it, and it stinks. I want it out of here. And I'm willing to pay for it because I don't want to look at it anymore, and I don't want it in the way. There's so much opportunity out there. You know, here's a, a funny thing, right? Like, sometimes... Things that are only meant to be humorous and just kind of ridiculous actually speak to a larger truth. There was an episode of The Simpsons where Homer was running to be sanitation commissioner. It didn't work out well in the end. But his campaign slogan was, can't somebody else do it? In other words, instead of just picking up your garbage, we'll come in your house and get your garbage. We'll we'll clean out the bottom of the garbage can for you and what have you. And he wins, and, of course, it's government, and you can promise a lot of things. And he even delivers for about a week, and then to do it, what he said he would do, he spent the entire year's budget in a week, and the whole town turns into a garbage hole. So that's the Simpsons, and it, well, how does that apply here? The slogan's not the problem. The application of it was, no, you can't have a garbage service paid for with what people expect to pay for their garbage where somebody comes into your house and you know cleans out the little bit of stickiness that ends up in the bottom of your garbage can and everything else. So they actually had the garbage man singing the garbage man can to the, like, the candy man can song. Like You can't do that. But you can market that concept for the things that you want to do because that's what a handyman does. A handyman answers the question... Can't someone else do it with, yes, I am the person that can do that for you. The handyman can. <laughs> Just some thoughts on that. So where can you find a place that these are things that people don't want to do, but you don't mind doing it, especially for money? And there's always opportunity. With that, let me remind you, if you like this show, and the work that we do, and you want to help support us, one way to do that is just do your online shopping through tspaz.com. That's T-S-P-T-S-P-A-Z, T-S-P-A-Z, tspaz.com. You can find all the stuff that I review online, and remember, if it's there, I own it, I spent my money on it, and I would buy it again if I needed it again, if I don't still have it, or I wouldn't recommend it to you. That's my commitment to you. Today's item of the day is one I brought around a lot, but, man, I love this thing. It's a stainless steel insulated French press by a company called Secura. The way I found this was we were going on vacation, I think it was last year, last summer, and we have a French press. It's a glass one that I've recommended for a long time. It looks really cool. 
I think it's made by Bavel or something like that. It's a really great press, but it's glass. And my wife's like, well, when we go on vacation, instead of using the stupid little coffee machine in the hotel room that they have there, why don't we take the French press and make our own coffee that we really love from like Holler Roast or Food Forest Farms or Mai Tai? So that's a great idea. And I looked at it and said, it will break. So I'm like, if we give this to the baggage people at the airlines, they will break it. They, it and there will be glass pieces in my underwear or my swim trunks, and I don't want that. So we said, well, why don't we go find a better French press? And somebody had just recommended this one to me. And I'm, so I looked at it and said, I think this will work. It's an insulated, double-walled stainless steel. It ain't going to break, even with the baggage handler monkeys that they have. So we ordered it, and I barely use the glass one now. Because it's insulated, it keeps the coffee hot longer. I love the way it functions. I love the way it looks. It's on sale right now for mid-20s, like $24 or something like that. It's normally like $35. It's like 30% off or something like that. And it is for the money, especially at that price. Probably the best French press on the market. Again, it's made by a company called Secura. If you get one, you'll love it. You'll use it every day. A lot of the items I recommend... Uh, are, are things I use weekly or, or frequently. This one I use multiple times every day. I had three cups of coffee today. So do my wife. We make about two cups per batch. So I used it three times just today, and I'm still recommending it. That tells you something, and you can find everything like that at tspaz.com and help us out no matter what you buy. Uh, also, you can also be, join the uh, Member Support Brigade. Just go to survivalpodcast.com and click on Members to learn more. I do do a service discount for, for uh, prior service military and a lot of things like that, but the sale I'm doing right now is the best price you will ever see. It will never be less. Uh, you can get MSB for $25 a month with the discount code 25 bucks. 25 bucks. Uh, just go to survivalpodcast.com, click on Members to sign up. I've had some people email me about, I don't want to pay with a credit card. I understand. You can use a form and mail it in, and we can do it that way. Uh, just know that if you mail in a form and snail mail right now, um, the address that's published online is not my home. It is a mail receiving uh, service that we have, and right now with the COVID, we get out about once every week and a half. So just it might be a little bit before you hear from us. If you go two weeks after you send that and you don't hear from us, email me. Something's wrong, and we'll, we'll get you squared away. Uh, also, I don't say this often, but we take silver for membership. We do an ounce uh, a year, and uh, well, right now that's that's oh, we do two ounces a year. We do two ounces a year. I upped it a while ago when silver dropped. So right now that'd be a hell of a deal. And um, if it works out to where you do two ounces and whatever silver spot is, we'll figure that out and we'll give you extra time over the twenty-five bucks. So you know, probably two ounces will probably get you a year and a half right now. So. We'll, we'll work it out one way or another. Uh, with that, let's go ahead and wrap up with our song of the day today. Song of the day today is by the Beatles, because it's Beatles week, and this song is In My Life. Um, Paul McCartney and John Lennon both said this is probably the best song the Beatles ever did. I think it's definitely classic, the Beatles. Like, if you didn't really, if you didn't know this song, and I think most people do, but if you didn't know this song and you heard it, it'd be about three seconds, you'd be like, that's the Beatles. Um, George Harrison loved this song as well, um, absolutely, and did a, a kind of a more sped-up rock version of it as a solo artist. Uh, so it's the one they all liked. It's really about having a love and affection for people in your life, both the ones that are here and the ones that are no longer here because they've passed away or they've left. And there's actually one person in it that is specifically being referred to by John Lennon who wrote the song, and his name is... Uh, uh, Stu Sutcliffe. He is one of the fifth, Be fifth Beatles. 
Did I say, say one of the fifth Beatles? Yeah, there's like actually a bunch of fifth Beatles. I have a link to a Wikipedia article about what fifth Beatle actually means. And people that actually were in the band and people that were associated with the Beatles and people that have claimed to be fifth Beatles and people that have been called fifth Beatles. And it's, it actually would be an interesting trivia question. How many fifth Beatles were there? And I think you'd have to define it further by what you mean. Ever referred to, self-referred to, or actually were in the band that was not John Paul George Ringo. But Stu's one of the earliest and... Um, the lyrics about friends in this refer directly to Stu. Um, this is just a great song, and if you really listen to it, I think it's one of those songs that will always make you think of people that were in your life that you wish were still there. Uh, in, in my particular world, when I hear this song, there's two men that I think of that I lost as friends to, to death. Um, one was quite a bit older than me, and one was within a couple of years of my age, and that really hits close personal, you know, close to home. It makes you think about your own mortality. The first was Ron Hood, and he was quite a bit older than me. I mean, he's old enough that he was in Vietnam in the '60s. He got mad one time when I said he rem he was like a dad to me, and he got he's like, "You mean like a brother?" I'm like, "Well, you're older than my actual dad." So I, I don't, <laughs> sorry, man, um, but he he really was like a, a father figure to me and a brother. At the same time, he was right about that, even though he would be sensitive about little things like that. Um, and, and he passed away of an apparent heart attack. Um, but at least he was kind of up there in years, not really old enough for you to expect it, but old enough for it to be something that um, that, that is a, an unfortunate reality. Uh, the other was uh, a guy actually did a show about when he passed as well. Uh, Ron, many of y'all knew. The other guy you might have heard of a time or two me mention or seen some videos of us together fishing, but um, until I did that show, most of you would have had no idea who he was. And most of you that are new listeners, which is probably the majority of the audience at this point was so long ago, was a guy named Hal Dodd. He was a fishing guy that I first hired to take me out on Joe Pool Lake, and he taught me the lake. And I think I hired him two or three times, and he wouldn't let me do it anymore. We just became friends, and we went fishing together. And um, he had some high blood pressure issues. He went on meds, off meds, on meds, off meds. But he thought he really had gotten everything together. And he was never he never looked physically out of shape. He just had these blood pressure issues. And one day he uh, he came home and uh, he had been out jogging. And kind of thinking, you know, well, you know, not what you expect to hear. And he was like 41 at the time. He called his wife right when he got back to the house from jogging. He said he felt great. He was having a good day. He was looking forward to going to work. Uh, and she got off the phone with him just as he was opening the door and going in the house. And that evening when she got home from work, she didn't hear from him again. It was not unusual. He was a sales guy. He worked really hard. Uh, when she opened the door, she had trouble opening the door because she opened the door into his feet, and she found him in the vestibule of their home, passed away. With his phone in his hand and unable to even call 911, he expired that fast. And that's just kind of a reminder that anybody in your life, you know, I think people are more in touch with mortality right now because of COVID and, and, and the fear that comes with it. And I think it's, it's an overblown fear, but it's also a real fear. But we just forget that the human condition isn't itself fragile and the people in your life that you really appreciate, you can't be sure that they'll be there and you can't be sure that you'll be there. So make sure they know, if you feel this way about people, make sure that you, they know it now. Because there may come a day you don't get a chance to tell them. And then you're looking back on it like this song instead of knowing that they knew. With that, it's been Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast.